the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's 4 o'clock in Southern California. This is Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for joining us on the Monday edition of the program. Nice to have you along. A year ago, uh, Angie Hong, who is a, a worship leader, a writer, a speaker, uh, wrote an article that appeared in the Atlantic uh, magazine, uh, just the Atlantic Online, perhaps. I don't know if it made it in the magazine. But she shared her story. She said the summer before her sophomore year in high school, she dedicated her life to Jesus. She became a Christian. She was one of the few Asians at her school outside of Atlanta. She found refuge in a local Korean church where she met like-minded friends. She said she became convinced as a teenager that if she followed the rules from the Bible about purity, she would have a good relationship with God. She would naturally attract great godly men. She would eventually meet a great godly husband. She said, many of my friends, church friends, had decided to take a break from their boyfriends uh, for up to a year to work on their relationship with God. Many decided that they would not even touch their boyfriend until they were married in order to uh, avoid temptation. She said, I read the books. I read Passion to Purity, Passion and Purity by Elizabeth Elliot. I kissed Dating Goodbye from Josh Harris. I read the book Lady in Waiting, she said. And that was one she, she said, I read about Boaz. And she said, uh, my goal was to attract my own Boaz, not a bozo, but a Boaz. She said, I, I learned or I believed that sexual purity would be the ultimate turn on for a godly man. I vowed to stay on track. I felt closer to God already. But then she said, I started to notice that it wasn't working the way it was. I was told it worked, and the rules seem to be different for different people. She goes on to write about her experience with what she calls purity culture, and the, the title of the article is The Flaw at the Center of Purity Culture, and that is that the rules don't apply equally to everyone. Her article is one of a whole host of articles that have been written and found their way online over the last five to 10 years, I remember doing a, I was a guest on a, a radio program more than a decade ago talking about the issue of purity culture. And I was there to talk about the fact that the Bible speaks to the issue of purity. Uh, I was involved for years with a ministry called Family Life. Many of you know that. We created a resource called Passport to Purity, designed to help moms and dads explain the birds and the bees to their kids and help them point them in a direction of purity. Uh, and, and so I was, I was defending the biblical view of purity, but on the line with me was, were, were other people who were saying purity culture is harmful. The purity message is harmful. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the impurity message is harmful too. I don't know how many times I have stood before an audience of parents and I've asked this question. How many of you, moms and dads, you have teenagers at home, how many of you would like your teenagers to have 
the same experience in their dating life as teenagers that you had in your dating life? How many of you would like their teen years to be just like your teen years were when it comes to dating and sexuality? And almost nobody raises their hands. I mean, you'll see one or two hands go up in a crowd. But parents go, no, I don't want that for my kids. They, they experienced the damage that can come from sexual sin. And they don't want that for their kids. The, the question is, have we in our desire to see our kids raised with a, with a different standard than what we were raised with or what we adhered to, have we pushed things too far? I want to talk about that with you this hour, and I've got a friend who is joining us to help with this. In fact, he's just written a, a great book. I'll tell you about the book, but let me introduce him. Dean and Sarah is joining us on Southern California Live. Dean, welcome to the program. Hey, Bob. Great to be with you, my friend. Dean is a pastor. Good to have you here as well. Dean's a pastor in Tallahassee. Uh, he's written a number of books. In, in fact, I love your book, The Unsaved Christian. I've recommended it to so many people. I'm so excited about this book, which is coming out in, I think it's coming out in two weeks. It can be pre-ordered from Amazon now, but it hits it hits the bookstores in two weeks. And it's called Pure, Why God's Design for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. And I, I think, Dean, I think this is an important and a needed book. Um, so, so let me ask you, as, as we start this conversation, as a pastor, uh, you felt that this was an issue that needed uh, to be addressed in a concentrate. I mean, you needed to spend some time really digging into this because of issues you were seeing in your church. Is that what led you to this? Yeah, and just Christian culture in general. I mean, I grew up in the 90s. That's when I was in high school. I mean, the height of the True Love Weights movement. And so I can talk about purity culture and the memories of being a part of that all day long. Uh, but And I can also be honest about the flaws of it, which I do in the book. But the question I kept asking as I'm reading all these sort of angst articles about purity culture, I'm saying, okay, let's, let's just for the benefit of the doubt say everything these folks are claiming is true. I think it's exaggerated personally. We'll talk about that. But let's say it's all true. Does that change the fact that God has a clear design for sexuality in the Scriptures? I would say no, not at all. So what's happening is I know it's kind of a overused saying to talk about the whole throw the baby out in the bathwater, uh, but I think that's what's happening is because of no one wants to be labeled as a purity culture kind of person because of the negative connotation it has right now. People are throwing out any kind of talking or preaching in churches about sexual ethics altogether, and I think it's a serious problem. Yeah, and and I, I, I'm hoping our listeners during this hour, especially those who would say, uh, I, I lived through the experience of the purity culture, especially if you feel like you got scarred by that. I hope you'll join us at 888-52-TALKS because I'd love to interact on this. Because, Dean, in the book, you you spend the first three chapters of the book saying there's some legitimate uh, critique that needs to go on of what happened in the 90s and what has continued to be a part of purity culture in our day today. Yeah, I really want to make sure I'm clear. I don't think the motives were wrong in those who were trying to contend 
for abstinence, sexual purity. I mean, I don't think the motives are wrong. I think the focus was the problem. And I don't think if they were trying to be legalistic or if we were talking about that enough back then in the 90s and late, late 80s and 90s. But the focus simply seemed to be, if you look at the language that was used in every testimonial, it was always about saving yourself for your future spouse. So here you are, you're 15 years old, and you're being told about this hypothetical future spouse, and the entire focus seemed to be you don't want to be the one on your honeymoon who hadn't waited, rather than the focus being the glory of God, you know, wanting to worship God and to participate in His design and obey His commandments out of love and, and to live in His grace and understand what He's done, what He's designed for His people. Uh, so we never really heard about that. It was all simply, it was kind of scare tactics. A little bit of like pseudo prosperity gospel put in there, like if you're gonna, you know, wait, maybe God will give you somebody who waited, and it was all in the context of that. Well, then what happens? Let's say you give in to temptation, give in to sin, which is not uncommon uh, for a high school student that has a boyfriend or girlfriend, or, or just in that dating culture in general. And then basically you view yourselves as kind of, and I, I hate even putting it like this, but sort of like wasted goods. Is kind of how they would how, how they would word it. Like you've already been, you know, violated or, or something along those lines. And that now it's like, well, okay, I already messed up. So what's the point now? I can just I might as well just do whatever I want to do because I've already messed up. And I'm not exaggerating it. That's really kind of the mindset that people came away with. It was just not much grace. And anytime there was a testimony, the testimonies were always about someone who had messed up, you know, all these years and how bad they felt and then God forgave them and We never heard people just talk about why, about God's design and why they were choosing to live their lives, you know, by God's sexual standards. And so so I just think the focus was a big problem, and that focus caused a lot of damage for people that that didn't exactly live up to the exact marching orders. It it was a a pragmatic focus as opposed to a theological focus. It was about features and benefits rather than being about the glory of God. Definitely, and I think it created some shame and guilt as well. Uh, because then it also made like the honeymoon out to be this almost idle, like some kind of an idle kind of setting, and, and it just really made it created just so much. I think even anxiety around it. Uh, so, so there was just so many issues. But again, I think we, we, we no one pushed back at the time. But now, seeing so many push back, I mean, it's been in the New York Times, you know, articles and op eds about it. I, I just really worry that rather than going, hey, here are some issues, let's talk about that, or hey, let's reintroduce a generation to sexual ethics in a way that does not take the negative aspects of purity culture. Uh, but as a result, I think instead we're abandoning, abandoning talking about it altogether, and I'm really concerned. You know, we think about the 90s as kind of when when the whole True Love Waits movement emerged, and I don't think it is by coincidence that it was the 90s because I, I'm a child of the 60s, okay? I, I grew up I, I came of age in the late 60s, and the, the 60s were the era where we said all of the rules about sexuality are going to get tossed aside. It's old ways of thinking, and we need free love, and we need to take down the, the barriers, and, and uh, there's nothing wrong with any of this. And And I lived through and watched people live through the damage that comes as a result of that. So now all of a sudden, these people who grew up like I did in the 60s, we're now parents in the 90s. And and we're looking around and going, we can't have for our kids what we lived through in the 60s and the 70s. And, and I think we probably pushed the pendulum out of fear 
so far in the other direction, uh, thinking we just got to do anything to protect our kids from sexual damage and sexual violation because we know how significant that scarring can be. You have thoughts about that? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And I don't think parents listening to this that are of your generation should beat themselves up or feel terrible. I, I just think it's very human nature to overcorrect. And we see it happen all the time in so many different areas, different issues. Uh, so I think in the overcorrection, and I don't think every child who grew up in an evangelical home uh, had to deal with this, but I also want to make sure that people in my generation who came out of this purity culture, let's not jump on the social media and the popular culture bandwagon and claim that we were oppressed and that it was miserable. And I just want people to be careful with those type of things. Rather, I think maybe we just encountered some legalism, some overcorrection, uh, a lack of clear teaching about God's design. And I think, in the, I think that the parents of your generation need to be given some grace, you know, considering what you just shared about. And I don't think any parent had any bad intentions. I think they're truly trying to protect their children. I just think in that they sometimes forgot about the sovereignty of God, about God's control, about um, how the grace is available. We're not to scare people into sexual ethics. I think we're to uh, tell the story of God's design and invite people in uh, to doing things the way that God has designed them to be. So, so my thought is, is I just don't want a generation of parents who are older than me to feel like they failed because all of a sudden now all these people are claiming to deconvert and deconstruct and point to a lot of sexual ethics. Because I, what I'm seeing is a lot of the call to deconstruct and deconvert is so people can live sexually the way they want to. Hmm. And it's easy to point the finger at someone else rather than take responsibility for yourself. So I'm worried so, about that, too. So you're saying there's a connection. And by the way, Dean and Sarah joining us this afternoon, the author of an important new book called Pure, Why God's Design for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. The book releases in two weeks. You can order it in advance now. You're saying that a lot of uh, the move toward progressive Christianity or deconstruction of an evangelical faith may be connected to this uh, the, the the way that we handled sexual ethics uh, in the 90s and beyond? I think so. Not exclusively, but I think it's definitely a factor. Uh, and, and now, even more than that, fast forward uh, to Christians just bowing down to the sexual revolution. So it's easier to say, oh, my parents oppressed, and my you know, I raised this, I had to listen to Salty at night, and people like, oh, my parents made me go to church when I was 10. I was oppressed. <laughs> it's ridiculous, Bob. <laughs> but, and I'm not trying to say there weren't some real issues with certain families. I'm not trying to think light of anyone's experience, and so much of it is that. Uh, but I think I think it's more uh, a bowing down to the current uh, cultural moment we're in. But I do think some of it has its roots in some of the legalism that came out of came out of their childhood. Yeah, I just want to mention because he could be listening. Ernie Rotino lives here in Southern California, so salty if you're listening. We're not picking on you this this afternoon. I love all right, eight eight eight. 888-52-TALKS is the number, 888-528-2557. Dean and Sarah is joining us. So did did you in the 90s? How old were you? in the, So when did you graduate from high school? What year? 1999. All right. So did you read uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye? I, I did, and I... <laughs> And being a, a teenage Christian boy in the 90s, I hated that book. <laughs> all of a sudden, all the Christian girls for like a year, the book was hot off the press. I can't imagine what it would have been like if it had been social media back then. But all of a sudden, all the girls from the youth group declared they weren't dating anybody until it was the person they were going to marry. And we're like, we're 16. We just want to be a prom. <laughs> like that, hang out with girls. 
So, so yeah. So, and, and I think Texas stating goodbye really made it was a really a legalistic over like overkill times a hundred of understanding dating for a teenager. I, I really think it was, and it was. It just kind of seemed like it was written from an ivory tower as someone who at the time hadn't really lived much real life. Well, and I think a lot of people read the idea, and, and you go back and, and look at the book, look at the ideas in the book, and there's there's a lot in there you'd go, I still agree with, I still think that's that's right. But a lot of people then tried to turn it into a recipe or a formula, or a, as a result, here's what you can and can't do, here's how this works. You you know, holding hands is okay up until the point when you're engaged, and then after that you can side hug. You know, it, it just, it got into to a whole... Uh, a whole recipe, and that's that's part of where we go wrong in all of this, right? Yeah, and I, and also our culture, the way our culture works is dating is the way you find your future spouse. Maybe not when you're 16, but we don't live in an arranged marriage culture. You know, you're in the United right. States. And so we could call it court. Remember, he always talked about courting, those kind of things. But when you're 16, 17 years old, courting just sounds way too serious. So it's almost like he was calling people to think about these things way before they should have, when they could have. They just would have done it by God's way and God's standards. Could still have no, well, I call it no regret dating relationships. So when I talk to our younger people in the church, I say, hey, date, sure, of course. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy meeting guys and girls, but have no regrets dating. And And does that mean both on an emotional level and on a physical level? Talk about that. Yeah, I, I think it's both for sure. Um, you know, I, I tell our students, I say, hey, don't act like you're married when you're not. And by that, I don't just mean physically. You know, I, I mean that emotionally as well. I mean, your, your deepest, darkest secrets and your greatest I love you don't need to, you know, to be, belong to someone who you're not married to. Uh, God didn't design it for that. And dating is complicated. It is. And I appreciate Harris being willing to take it on to begin with. Uh, but because we need someone to talk about it. I just would have gone a different direction than he did. Uh, but what makes dating complicated is it's not in the Bible. That doesn't make it bad. It just makes it neutral. Uh, so when it's not in the scriptures, it means we have to kind of make it up. Uh, so it's hard for Christians to figure out how to do it the right way, because we've kind of let culture set the terms and the standards and the definition of how this works. So it's really hard for our college students, our young adults, high school, middle school students, more high school students, trying to figure this out, because, again, the scriptures are clear on purity and are clear on marriage and God's design, but dating didn't exist in the scriptures. So that makes it hard to talk about, but we need to use Christian wisdom and pull from other scriptures to help us understand how to carry this out in our culture. And I would love this afternoon to hear from moms and dads who are raising teenagers and find out what you're doing and how you're speaking to this issue, particularly if if you look back on your experience and said, my experience growing up in the church, purity culture, or maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Maybe you grew up in the culture and you say, I don't want my kids to experience what I did. And so, uh, again, we'd love to have you be part of the conversation at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. Dean and Sarah is joining us. He's written a new book, an important new book called Pure, Why God's Design for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or oppressive. And and you talk in the book, Dean, in fact, the, the whole second section of the book is about contemporary lies that we can't give into. So if, if we're going to say the purity culture got got sideways, we can't just say, well, let's abandon that and go with what modern culture is telling us, because there are a bunch of, of lies in modern culture, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I think the first one we're seeing is that 
it's, okay, we don't use this exact language, but functionally it's being told to us this lie, and that is that marriage is a capstone rather than a cornerstone. Hmm. Meaning marriage is what you kind of work to and then sort of towards when you're ready, once you already have gone to college and, you know, traveled the world and saved up enough money and knocked out your bucket list and all and lived your life, then, yeah, then you'll be ready to get married. Rather than it being something you build your life from, we're seeing marriage become something you build your life to. I got married and I, I, had, turned, I had turned 23 years old a month before. My wife had just turned 22. We built our lives as adults from marriage. And I'm a big advocate of getting married young, not to force it or not that you have to, uh, but I think that marriage is a cornerstone of our society that God designed, not a capstone. So that's the first lie is almost frowning upon marriage. Oh, you don't want to get married, get married later. I, I, I've had people say, well, I don't want to get married until I have this much money saved in the bank or until I finish my Ph.D. And it's going, well, if that's the case, and I'd recommend then, I'd, I'd go with Harris on this. I want to give credit where credit's due, and I wouldn't date. <laughs> if marriage is nowhere, and like, by I did, I mean, seriously date someone who's already an adult uh, and is probably wanting marriage, and you going, no, not for five years, seven years, ten years, like, well, then what are we doing? Yeah. So I think that's the first one. I think everything kind of flows from that idea that marriage is a capstone rather than a cornerstone. I mean, the average age of a, of a guy getting married today is, is 29 and a half, 30. I think that's where it is in the United States, early 30s in, in the U.K., and this is the reason why cohabitation and sex outside of marriage is so prevalent, because I can't imagine being a guy at, at 30 and saying, uh, okay, now I'm going to start thinking about marriage, and now I'm going to start. I mean, the, the, the sex drive has been there all along, and it's a pretty strong drive. We're talking with Dean and Sarah, the author of the book Pure, uh, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. We're going to take your calls after we take a quick time out. The number to call again, 888-52-TALKS. 888-528-2557. Veronica, you're first up when we come back as the Monday edition of Southern California Live continues. There's the question we're asking this afternoon. Southern California Live on KKLA, KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. Uh, you can't hurry, love. We're talking about uh, dating culture, about purity, about the uh, purity culture. Uh, Dean and Sarah joining us. Dean's a pastor from Tallahassee, Florida. His new book is called Pure, Why God's Design for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. And uh, we want to talk to you about what you're dealing with with your teens, but also uh, what you experienced. Did you grow up in in what is called, in the church in the '90s and the 2000s during the True Love Waits era? Did it have? W- w- would any of you say, you know, what it was a good thing for me? I'm glad as I look back on that time, I wasn't damaged by that. Or would you say there were problems with it? Eight 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 fifty two talks is the number. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. Uh, Veronica is on the line with us from Whittaker, the, uh, Whittier this afternoon. Veronica, welcome. Thank you. I think it's a, a great conversation to have. Um, I grew up in the early 90s um, in a very conservative home, and so that purity uh, talk was constant, um, and, and uh, th- there was just a lot of pressure put on uh, because... I went to a public high school, and so being in public school, that is wasn't cool at the time. And um, and so uh, 
I went through my own struggles as a teenager. But one of the things that even my husband, I met my husband at church, uh, you know, we were in youth group and all that, but we still dealt with things ourselves, and we were in church. Uh, we were involved in, as youth, um, but we still had things that we had to work through, and um, we ended up getting married. But conversation that we talked and we have with our three kids, we have three, uh, two teenagers and one adult, is, uh, and one of the things we always tell our kids is you want to get to know someone, um, somebody that can honor themselves, because if they can honor themselves well, they're going to be able to honor you well. Hmm. That's a good word, Veronica. Thank you, and thanks for sharing your story. And, and Dean, I think we we got to recognize as we as we think back, not only then but today, for somebody to say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue a life that is committed to purity." That's that's my goal. That's what I'm. That's that's the desire of my heart. That's what I'm pursuing. That there are going to be social repercussions for that, and it's not going to put you in with the in crowd at school if you're in a public school in particular. Sure, and I was raised public school. My oldest is a public school high schooler right now, uh, and uh, we had those kind of conversations. And I think him as a young man, especially. Uh, she's going to, you know, take a girl out or, you know, have you get to know a girl more than just friends or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think a lot of that expectation and burden, I mean, burden in a good way, uh, needs to be upon him. So we can get our Christian young men uh, to treat ladies with respect and not just respect in manners, but in respect in terms of making them feel comfortable and not pressuring them and not acting out their temptations. Uh, I think that is going to change the game and make it where you don't or you aren't an outcast, you know. So a lot of uh, young Christian ladies, you know, if they're choosing to, and it's not just remain pure, it's follow Jesus, right? I mean, that's really what they're trying to do is be faithful disciples uh, before anything else. That's never going to be popular. Uh, but if we can have our guys who are Christians in high school say, look, we're going to be different. We're going to live distinct lives. We're going to treat women with respect. Uh, I think we can see uh, the Christian remnant kids that are in, high, in public high schools I see a true change uh, where they are. That's what we're hoping for with our family with the school my kids at. Do you think guys face the same kind of social ostracization? I can't say the word. They, they, they feel the scorn and, the, and being, being considered outcasts if, if they're standing for purity. I mean, a guy in the locker room who says, I'm, I'm going to wait till I'm married to have sex. Are his buddies going to go, what kind of weirdo are you? Are you gay? Um, yeah, yeah, he'll get te- teased, yes. There's such a double standard, though, with guys and girls. You know, these guys that, you know, almost consider themselves to be, you know, champions and men because of how many girls they've had a chance to, you know, sleep with or whatever you want to, or whatever it is they want to do uh, and be physical with. You know, they're considered studs and they get high fives. Where if a girl does that, you know, she's talked poorly about and she's mm-hmm. marginalized. Even in a secular culture, you know, she's viewed as being, you know, words you don't want to say on the air. You know, uh, so I think there's really a double standard when it comes to that. Uh, but for Christian guys, though, that are trying to live their pure lives, yeah, they'll get teased in a little bit. They might get called, they might get called gay. They might get called something along those lines. But uh, we have to just have good people around us and find good Christian friends. And you know, it's like, wow, I'm I'm not gay at all. I'm actually dating this girl who's a really nice girl, and you know, and she's a Christian too. And we're choosing to live our lives differently. And the insecurities just come out. You know, it's like I've always wondered why does one high school kid care what another high school kid is doing with his or her girlfriend. <laughs> it's because 
of insecurities, and a lot of times you feel your own guilt when someone else is living their lives in a way that honors the Lord, and you know you're not. Uh, the way to kind of handle that is to deflect it away from yourself and make fun of the other person. Uh, so we just need parents and youth ministers just encourage kids uh, that are Christians to live for Christ and to do things differently. Dean and Sarah is joining us this afternoon. His new book is called Pure, Why God's Design for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. I'm I'm so excited about the book. It comes out in two weeks. I hope a lot of you will pre-order and get this. Go through it with your kids if you've got kids. This would be a great book for youth group to go through. But honestly, it's not just youth group. It's all of us thinking about God's design. Parents need to go through this book as well because we we've got to shape how the next generation thinks about these subjects, and this is such a positive approach that Dean takes. Uh, we're taking your calls at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. Karen is joining us this afternoon from Whittier. Karen, thanks for calling in. Hi, sure. Um, I was also raised much in the Christian faith when my parents were um, the type of that you can date when you're 16, but you, when someone wants to go out with you, you're going to bring them, well, they need to come over, and we're going to interview them and talk to them about their relationship with Christ. And so they were evaluating the gentleman from the Emma Glover and the woman, and, and they basically would yes or yes or no, and if they said no, sorry, we can't date you. And it was, I think, just God ordained it that way because, you know, you have to listen to your parents because the Lord says so. And At the time, Karen, I'm yes. just curious. Yes. At the time when that was the way your parents were handling it, were you were you just dying, or were were you going okay? I think I think mom and dad are right here. Well, when no one's knocking on the door, you can't really complain too much. But yeah, like <laughs> I was kind of excited at 16, but no, I got asked out when I was 16, and so it was fine. It worked okay with me, and I think because my parents always had prepared us, I was raised with that, and it was. I was taught that you can't date. And my, I have older sisters and brothers, and so watching them kind of go through it kind of helped, I think. Did, if did, I was, was the first, there, I'm not sure. Was, was there ever a guy who wanted to ask you out and Dad said no? Yes. And, there and was, how did, Well, I should say there, there was a gentleman who asked me out, yes, and I was an adult at that point, so I probably could have technically like, said, no, I'm not going to listen, but still that would have been disobedient to the so word he, and to my father. Even as a young adult, you still wanted uh-huh. mom and dad involved in the process. Yeah, because that was just the rule, and, you know, you have to be obedient to the word, obeying the parents, and and obeying. So in, this gentleman that came out one time, I remember he was, I watched him be disrespectful to my father, and I did not want to go out with him because of that. Uh-huh. So I remember leading him to the door, and then he's like, well, can I go out with you? I said, I don't think so. And <laughs> I wasn't sure I would tell him no, but, yeah, he just, I never saw him again. So you have kids today, Karen? What's that? Do you have kids today? I do. I have 20. My my son is 18. I I have a daughter 20, a daughter 22 who's getting married in a few months, and then a son is 25. And we did the same thing with them. We told them we have to be 18 today. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And my husband husband was raised Muslim, so when he came to marry me, he was Christian, but he... He had the same process in his mind, like, I have to be really serious about this girl to do this, to go through this. <laughs> do I really care about her? <laughs> Karen, thank you for your call. Uh, 
888-52-TALKS is the number. Dean, I remember when my oldest daughter was two years old, could barely speak, and I used to put her on my lap, and I would say, sweetheart, you know, someday a boy's going to want to take you out on a date, and he's going to have to talk to daddy first. And, I mean, I was I was sending this message pretty early. Talk about mom and dad's involvement and what you think it should be as our kid. What are you doing with your kids? Yeah, well, again, as long as they're under your roof, it's not even until they're 18, as long as you're paying for things. <laughs> I, I think you have a, a tremendous amount of authority, and there's expectations of how things are going to be in our house, when, in any other area, what that can be. I also think that dads need to be careful. Um, you know, like if you like, you know, take pictures of your, of your daughter who's pretty and she's a teenager, and you're holding a shotgun next to her, and say, you're joking, of course, but saying things like, you know, boys stay away. You don't want to create that uh, that understanding that she's some sort of object, even though you don't think that. That's how it can come across. Hmm. Uh, she's not some kind of she's not some sort of sexual object. Uh, so instead, I think it's just more of a high standard type of thing. Like, hey, we're gonna you're gonna I want you to have girlfriends, like your actual like friends in your life, your community that are high character people. And I, and if we're gonna date someone, they definitely have to be high character people. Like that's like an across the board kind of idea. Uh, so in our house, I mean, it, it starts off real simple. It's like um, the biggest thing we're doing right now, the age my boys are, is, is the respect of women. Uh, so how they speak to their mom is a really big deal. Uh, if you want to get in trouble in our house, um, be disrespectful to your mom. That's a big deal in our house. I want them to understand that from day one. And also how they treat their little sister is a big deal. I make them open the door for her. I want her right now to understand how she's supposed to be treated by men, by how her brothers treat her. Uh, so that's a big deal in our house. Boys roll their eyes sometimes about it, but it's a big deal. Uh, so those are the, kind of the early things for us right now. And uh, my son's in high school. He's playing football. He'll be have his driver's license this summer. And if he wants to you know, take girls out on a day, I think that's great. You know, I, I just want to make sure they're people of high character and, and that he's going to be respectful and he's going to also honor the Lord and what that looks like and what that means. And I think we'll do the same thing with my next two. So I have three kids, so 15, 11, and 7. And the youngest is seven. She's the girl. So, so with, um, with a 15-year-old boy, when he gets his driver's license, he wants to take a girl to the movies, you'll say, all good. you got to check before and after and, and, and do a lot of coaching as they go through this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're already talking about those kind of things now. You know, so he's very clear already on sexual ethics. And he hasn't dated yet. He hasn't had a girlfriend. Uh, but, you know, we're already careful about what who he follows on Instagram. We just let that happen, you know. But we monitor it, make him have the lock because all the kids in his school have it. So we want him to be able to be social and be connected to people. But we're really careful about those kind of things. So, yeah, he'll be coaching all the way through. Uh, he went to homecoming this past year, his first school dance, and took a date. And they went as a group of friends, and it was really innocent, really fine. And so, so those are the kind of things that we want to see happen. And if he was in this relationship where, let's say he starts dating a girl once he gets his driver's license, and all of a sudden he's not around his friends anymore, all they ever do is just hang out together, and he's losing his high school experience because he's acting like he's practically married, we don't want that to happen. You know, we want it to be this sort of no regrets, fun uh, interest in a girl, that's great. Learn how to treat a girl. Learn how to take a girl on a date. I, I think all that's great. Uh, I just want him to, to not to consume him. And I think we can get some problems where high school students act way too serious when they date. Dean and Sarah is our guest this afternoon. His new book is called Pure, Why God's Design for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. Lines are open at 888-52-TALKS if you'd like to join the conversation. And we'll take more of your calls uh, when we come back as your Monday edition of Southern California Live continues.
Southern California Live on KKLA, KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. We're talking about purity culture. We're talking about how we keep our kids pure. Dean and Sarah is uh, joining us this afternoon. His new book is called Pure. It comes out in two weeks. It's available for pre-order right now on Amazon. This is an important book and one that I hope a lot of moms and dads and teens will uh, get and talk about and engage with. We're taking your calls. All the calls from Whittier, apparently, this afternoon. Uh, Ivelisa's with us on the line. Uh, Ivelisa, thanks for calling this afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. So so tell us your story. I'm raising a 14-year-old, an almost 18, and a 20-year-old, and I just want to say that it's very difficult. But at the same time, I know that what has helped us as a family is to build communities. Um, they're all raised in the public school, but we've always been around like-minded uh, families that help support raise our kids in the school district, as well as the church, of course. That's the most important one of the communities that we have created. And our church has been so strong in building platforms, creating platforms for families to be able to talk about this topic. Are, are, are you raising boys or girls, Lisa? I have two older girls, and the 14-year-old is my youngest. And and you find it's as hard for the boys and the girls, or do you find? I mean, the girls are the ones who have been through it the hardest right now, right? Um, I think it's a little bit more challenging with the boy because he's a little bit more, you know, quiet about things, not very communicative <laughs> when it comes to the topic. But the girls are pr- pretty helpful with you know helping the the brother when it comes to conversations. They have date nights and things like that once a month. Hmm. Uh, try to get them to, to do date nights. That also helps. So, Dean, as a, as a pastor, I know this is something that that you're very in tune with. If kids are trying to do that, if, if they're the Lone Ranger in their school or their community or their group trying to, to work their way through this purity idea, they're going to be, uh, they're, they're going to face some real challenges, aren't they? Oh, definitely, especially when it comes to the sexual revolution. You know, so they're not getting in with uh, the marching orders of the day. Uh, my son right now is uh, having Pride Week at his school as a full school initiative. This is the oldest high school in the state of Florida, a lot of tradition, really neat school where I went as well. And to see just the onslaught in his life, uh, this just kind of came out of nowhere. So really I had to talk with him about, hey, you might get a hard time for not participating. Because they have different things where you wear this shirt on this day and this color on that day. And he's not going to do that, uh, not just our choice, but his choice as well. I mean, he's really firm in his convictions there. Uh, so I said, look, man, you're going to get looks. You're going to get people wondering why you're not participating. Uh, you're going to get accused of being hateful, bigoted, mean, judgmental. And I said, you just need to realize you're not ultimately going to answer to them. You're going to answer to the Lord. And there's not a way to sugarcoat that to you. I want you to write, know right now at 15 that like being a Christian is difficult. Uh, you know, Salvation is free, but following Jesus ain't cheap. And this is like, this is going to be, I know it's a lot for 15 year olds to deal with this right now, but you've been prepared and grounded uh, to live for Christ, you know, on your campus. And so cling to those that you do know. You know, we have a great student ministry at our church. I'm really thankful for that. Uh, And in terms of, you know, in terms of uh, just purity culture in general, uh, choosing to be pure is not purity culture. Again, it's following Jesus. Uh, So um, I I think that anytime you follow Jesus in any area, there's always going to be scoffers. There's always going to be those who think it's foolishness. The Bible tells us it's foolishness to those who are, you know, who are perishing. And I think this generation of kids coming up right now 
is really going to live that out in a way American Christians maybe have never had to before. So, so we just got to not, yeah, we got to prepare them for that. If but it, but if you've got a couple of, I mean, if you're Daniel and you've got a Shadrach, a Meshach, and a Abednego that you can at least hang out with a little bit, and you guys can commiserate, that helps, doesn't it? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, having that crew, having that, our, our actual youth group is about to start going through Daniel uh, chapter one through six, and they're going to call it "Living in the Wild." <laughs> uh, you know about, about what exile in Babylon looks like, and I think you've got to have your people. I, I think it's—I I think we need to even be choosing churches, not in a consumer kind of way, but in a do they have these? Again, it starts at the home, without a shadow of a doubt. But do they have the environments the church are going to come alongside of me and help me equip my kid? Uh, not 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 simply to be a good Christian. That's not to, not that's not the goal uh, by just some generic moral sense, but actually to live for Christ. You're going to have the youth group wait a few years before they get to the apocalyptic chapters and try to figure yeah, out what that means. <laughs> Take an easy way out. Evelisa, <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. Dean and Sarah joining us this afternoon. His new book is called Pure. It comes out in two weeks. And we got an email, by the way. You're free to email us. Our email address is SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. But Richard emailed and said, what do I do? I've got a 12-year-old sweet daughter. She's just about ready to start junior high next year. And here's the issue. He says her sisters are not really a great influence, her older sisters. One of the older sisters just had a, a baby, and the daddy is not around uh, the other one's just kind of dating guys, whoever, and the the little girl looks up to her older sisters. So as a dad, what do I do to try to influence her in the right way? Because I'm just afraid she's going to get pulled into junior high and and she's going to get pulled yeah. into the culture. Yeah, that's hard. And, and, and you know, oddly, it's that the brokenness is around us, right? And it hits our own families, this broken world that we're in. Um, you know, I think one thing I just learned over the years is that older siblings – they might be really stubborn towards mom and dad and defensive, but they can have a soft spot for a younger sibling and see that responsibility. So, like, what would it look like for the sister to sit down, little sister, and go, hey, look, we've made some choices. We've done some things we don't think are the best, and we want you to not, you know, we love you. We want you to, you know, we want you to make better choices than we did. I'm not trying to oversimplify. It. That's a lot. The older sisters might get mad and claim no way, but, like, to me, that might be what needs to happen. And I'm guessing the 12-year-old, like, maybe not to hide her from the brokenness, you know, to see, I know you love your sisters, we love your sisters, we think they're wonderful people, um, but, you know, some of these choices they've made were not the best choices, and look what the result of it is, uh, to, not, to not hide her from those decisions, because she's still going to love her sister, she's not going to look down on her sisters, but to say, you can be different, and then hope we'll all pray together, everyone listen to this, I would encourage you to pray uh, that the older sisters, you know, come back and repent, and come back to the Lord would be a really wonderful thing. Dean, I know we've got some people who hear this whole conversation and think, wait, what What decade are we living in? I mean, are, are you guys serious about this? Because have you not have you not looked around and seen it's a whole new world when it comes to sexuality? And we just need to we need to recognize that and and quit trying to drag things back to the 50s. Well, you know, I don't mean this snarky at all, but an honest question. How's that working for everybody? You know, here we are. Yeah. This sexual level, here we are in the sexual revolution, and we're seeing more people depressed, more people broken. We're seeing more people feel like they're used, taken advantage of, uh, dehumanized, um, scared, pregnant, uh, without out of wedlock. So many things happening, 
And the sexual revolution does not deliver as promised. But that's not even the reason. The main reason why we want to say we don't care what decade this is is because God's Word remains constant, and He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He has designed this for our good. These aren't rules for the sake of rules. God is the creator of sex. It's not sex that's the problem. It's where it's carried out and lived that's the problem. Uh, So this is a good gift that God has given us, but he wants us to use it for his glory and for our flourishing, and he has given us the confines of marriage. I I tell people all the time, sex is not for in love people or ready people or mature people. It's for married people, and that's what God has designed for us. So I think we'd be unashamed of that in the same way we're unashamed of anything else in this scriptures. And and the goodness of God's gift of sexuality is something that we've been a little reticent to want to put our stamp of approval on for fear that that somebody will hear that message and go, well, if it's good, I want it now. Yeah, well, yeah, then that's, I think it's human nature, you know, in our flesh to be able to think that or maybe think that we're, you know, missing out on what God has for us, but it's not. Um, part of it really is, and a trill of weight to use the word weight, and I think that the waiting is part of the element of it, that we wait to carry out what God has given us in the way he's designed for it to be. Uh, so that may, that may include patience, it may include perseverance, self-control, and those aren't bad things. Those are actually Christian virtues that we should be cultivating in our lives. And maybe for you listening, maybe this is an area in your life where God wants this to be a reality for you, and you just need to grow and mature and be sanctified. So as and we've got about a minute left before we got to wrap this up, and I do hope folks will get the book Pure by Dean and Sarah. But but as we we wrap this up, you're saying that that the the design in the Bible for purity is something purity culture may have pushed it too far, but purity is still a good biblical concept that we need to rally around. Yes, the errors and missteps of of purity culture and the true love ways. You know, there were good things too. But the errors and missteps do not change God's design. In the same way, just because something goes wrong at church doesn't mean that God doesn't still love and create the local church, right? It, it's not, it was not sexuality that was the problem. It was the approach. Uh, so God has not changed, and we need to make sure that we're unashamed, but also we're clear on that. Dean and Sarah has been our guest this afternoon. His book is called Pure, and it's an important book. It's coming out in two weeks. I hope you'll get a copy. Hope you'll share it with your friends, and uh, and and really hope that this subject. I mean, I, I I'm just concerned as I look in the culture that uh, that Christians are going to be marginalized on the subject of purity, and and we're not supposed to speak about it anymore. And that's where I appreciate the boldness of this book. Dean, thanks for the time this afternoon. Thanks, Bob. I really enjoyed being with you. I appreciate you and your ministry. Thank you. You as well. And uh, thanks to all of you who called in. Wish we could have taken all of your calls, but we just uh, ran out of time this afternoon. Uh, An important subject, this subject of purity, and we'll continue to have conversations. Maybe we can talk more about it tomorrow. I'll be back here at 3 o'clock tomorrow, and we'll continue on Southern California Live. See you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.